Hello and welcome to the Bible with Me podcast from Precept UK. We are a Christian charity based in Salisbury that equips people to know God deeply so they can live differently, using a wide range of Bible study resources for all ages and levels of understanding. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the ministry, and we would love to encourage you to seek the truth of God's Word for yourself using one of our inductive study books, available at precept.org.uk. Now without further ado, here's Nigel with the latest episode of the Bible with Me podcast. Uh, well, good morning. I would like to uh, welcome, uh, very delighted to be welcome, Richard Borgonian to the Bible ME podcast today. Uh, Richard grew up and was educated in London and after leaving school decided to go into the Lloyd's insurance market, a profession he has been in for some 47 years. Uh, he's held various international industry leadership positions, including being chairman of a Lloyd's broking firm. Uh, Richard was formerly on the board of the uh, universities and Christian Colleges Fellowship, UCCF, which runs all the Christian unions in UK universities. He is uh, chairman of a charity financially supporting Bible-based frontline Christian ministries around the world, and today he runs his own broking and consulting company. In the mid-2000s, he, with the Reverend William Taylor of St. Helens Bishopsgate, wrote The Word One-to-One. These notes on John's Gospel equip Christians to share the Gospel and have been used literally around the world. Uh, Richard loves motorsport, walking his dog, encouraging people to get into the Bible, a man after my own heart. He's married to Jane. They have two daughters, Camilla and Penelope. Uh, Richard, it is a delight to welcome you to the podcast today. Well, thank you very much. I'm delighted to be with you. Uh, Now, Richard, how did you come to faith in Christ, and why do you follow Jesus? Well, I grew up in a classic churchianity family. So my father was actually the chief cantor of the Gregorian Society. So imagine my pain as a young boy being dragged around to different different cathedrals on a Saturday to listen to your father singing a language you don't understand with music, which is absolutely, uh, well, it's not the choice of a man, of a young boy less than 10. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Uh, And my parents had been in, a lively church, which very sadly, the minister moved on um, and uh, a new man came in who called himself very much a priest. I remember the fantastic robes that he wore. I was amazed my mother didn't steal them as a pair of curtains because they were absolutely sensational. But would you believe it? He closed every ministry he didn't personally want to run. So he he annihilated a church. He he closed a youth group of 90 young people because he didn't want to run it. Just dreadful. The one thing he left alone was the young wives and the mother's union. But um, it turned it into churchianity. It was about the religiosity of going to church. And I got um, I got confirmed in that. So I, I remember expecting there to be an electric shock when the bishop laid his hands on me. But. And so I was certainly I was seeking a relationship with God, but I didn't understand really what Jesus had done because nobody had opened the Bible with me. This was no longer a church which taught the Bible. We had a homily, really, on a Sunday. Anyway, through school, um, uh, I got introduced to a church that was five miles away, which was very like the church that my uh, newly married sister was in which I enjoyed when I went to stay with her. So she encouraged me to get on my bike and ride the five miles to Emmanuel Church Northwood, which was certainly a church that was based on the Bible. It had 200 kids in the ages 14 through 20 in youth groups. And I thought that was brilliant because more than half of them were girls. <laughs> so I started to uh, to go over to that. And at that, they had a New Year's house party and a speaker who introduced the promises of Christ. He took us through the clarity of John. And I find that fascinating because John has been, as a book, something which has come back throughout my life. But he really went through what John 3.16 went, and he he offered a uh, copy of a booklet called Journey Into Life at the end of the evening. I walked past him initially and didn't take one. Uh, but I turned on my heels because I felt absolutely convicted that I needed it. And I actually went back and I got the last copy. And the next day when I got home, I read Journey Into Life. I realised what Christ had done. I sank to my knees next to my bed 
And at the age of 15, on the 1st of January, I accepted Christ into my life. So I've been a Christian since being 15 and, it, and immediately it had a change. There was there was a, a, a subtle but sure shift in the way that I was thinking and what appealed to me. And um, frankly, that's grown throughout my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what was it about? What is it? What is it about Jesus that makes you follow him? Here was a living relationship being offered to me, a peace that passes all understanding, a, 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 an acceptance that actually I could be adopted into God's family for eternity. And, and that as that, that completely changes one's view of the world. Now, I, I, I happen through business to meet a lot of very, very wealthy people. They're not wealthy. They're not wealthy. They're poverty stricken in relation to being having a, a trillion, trillion, trillionaire as a father in heaven. And I don't have to. I said I actually said to a billionaire once in South Africa, I said, well, actually, my father's got way more than you. And he sat up in his chair. He said, really? I mean, this guy was a multi-billionaire through shipping. I said, oh, yeah. I said, the difference between you and I is that um, your money has ruined you and your family, which it has. Whereas my father looks after it all. I didn't have to worry about any of it. Yeah. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, my father's in heaven. I said, I've been adopted into his family. He looks after it. Yeah. One day I'm going home. I'm like you who can't you know you can't even get your arms around it now and you've got to leave all of it behind i'm actually going home to mine <laughs> so um you know it's a huge difference and that difference has powered the relationships that i've had throughout my life and my my view of what's important and, and what should be sought ever since it is a living relationship with my adopted father amen amen Amen. Now, I understand that having become a Christian, you were in a Christian rock band and choir for five years. Uh, tell us about that and, and what you got to see during this time. Well, the youth group was so big that we realised that we could actually form our own uh, Christian rock band. and It was a choir. It was, it was up to 20 singers and 12 in the band and a road crew. So actually, we realised that we could have 40 of us traveling around the country at weekends that would then speak to um, uh, the audiences, the young people audiences that we would get, whether it was in a massive event at the Albert Hall or whether it was through the album that we had. And we were very blessed at Emmanuel Northwood because there was a family that actually I know that you know, Nigel, the Buckley family, who were incredibly musical. And David Buckley ran the choir. And Lois Buckley was also one of our singers. And, and for five years, we had the enormous privilege of introducing people to Christ and seeing changed lives. And, and equally, it, it imparted on me an urgency. So I will never forget, we went to one venue and the week before there had been a Texas rock band, Christian rock band at the same venue. And there'd been two teenagers at the end of the of the gig that had been speaking to the band about what it meant to actually know Christ. And for them, that was a revolution. And they didn't commit their lives to Christ that night. And they jumped on their motorbike um, and went up the ramp from the hall to the main road and got taken out by a truck. Both killed. Oh and that really imparted to me, yeah, this is urgent. You've, you've been given a job of explaining the joy, the huge joy of actually you can be certain about eternity. Yeah. And that yeah. It's, you haven't earned it. It's the grace of God. God's riches at Christ's expense. And uh, and that was a joy and an urgent thing to do. And so that five years was very important. Yeah. And so it spanned the the very end of my time at school. And then because I didn't go to university, it was it dominated the early years of my working career so that we would pitch up and get on the coach. Haven't got a clue where we were going and we would be driven off to wherever it was and we would perform. And then we would get back in the early hours of a Saturday or Sunday morning, I should say, actually. It was an extraordinary period. Yeah, fantastic. Goodness me. Um, now, leaving school, you decided to go into the Lloyd's insurance market, and you've remained in this profession for uh, 
well, nearly 50 years, actually, uh, setting up your own insurance and consultancy, uh, Broken Company, 2007. Uh, what drew you to take up employment in the insurance market? And given your faith and your vibrant faith as a young man, um, you know, you didn't feel drawn to go into the church or some other sort of full-time Christian ministry? Uh, okay, this needs unpacking. So, number one, I won a sponsored degree course from British Leyland on the marketing side. I wanted to become a motor racing driver. Uh, I'd always been interested. I was actually part sponsored at school by Gulf Motor Oils. I was chairman of the motor club as well as chairman of the Christian Union. And um, that's where I saw myself going into motor racing and into the motor racing business. And I went up to Lloyd's out of pure politeness to my father, who never pushed me. But he actually, in, by the time he finally retired, he did 60 years in the insurance industry at Lloyd's. Um, and I just went up to see what he did uh, as, a, as a day out from A-levels. Well, it, was, it happened to coincide with a period where the insurance market was desperately trying to expand. And the businesses were really tiny uh, that, that made up Lloyd's. And uh, if they put an advert in the Financial Times, they got 300 responses and they might have been a company of 20 people. So actually, if you met someone who was like someone that you knew, um, you were interested in them. And I got nine job offers aged 18. <laughs> I thought I went home to my father and said, there's something in this. I feel like a professional football player. So um, he said, well, if you're even thinking about it, there's two people I want you to meet. I met one of them and it was like 20 tons, Nigel, fell out of the sky and landed on me that I should go and take up the offer of a man called Ron Fundell. And Ronnie, bless him, uh, introduced me to the company he was in, but couldn't get me a job directly with him. So I actually turned up having felt I should go and work for this man, but I wasn't going to be working for this man. I was in his firm. And then within um, six months, he turned up in front of my desk and said, I'm starting a new division and I, I want you. And the people I was working with wouldn't release me for six months. But finally, I got released. And for four years, it was like working for your father. And I've got no doubt in my mind that was the Lord, because don't forget, I hadn't gone to university um, because my father was my father was actually 45 before I was born. So the insurance industry, because of my father's age, assumed I'd gone to university. Yeah. So I ended up in a very senior position at a very young age because everybody thought I was just baby faced and actually uh, was older than I really was. And uh, I wasn't. But I was traveling on business by the age of 21. Wow. So it was wow. an extraordinary. And because I was the assistant to this man, it gave me an extraordinary exposure. And the Lord used that. Massive, massive experience. Yeah. Now, now, reading through your CV, it seems to me that training, marketing, leadership, uh, growing businesses were all part of your day to day life. And reflecting on the time before you set up your consultancy business, give us a taste of life as it were in the fast lane, your workload, your travel, and also any struggles you had, because we all have struggles, don't we? And the impact that that had on your family as well. Well, it was relentless. So I actually, I actually uh, found myself um, from 1997 through to 2004 being an officer of an American, very large American company. And I was chairman of the businesses outside of the UK, uh, sorry, outside of America. And I was managing director of marketing for the business inside America. So actually, I lived in a permanent state of jet lag. I was forever, my normal week was regularly to be at an airport. Um, and it meant various things. It meant that when I met, because I got to be so senior at a very young age, my wife, when I met my wife, she was used to the pace that I had to live. And um, we adopted that into our lifestyle, but it was absolutely exhausting. So it, it, the, the biggest down, downer was that uh, when we stopped for a holiday, it was like a 60-ton truck hit me because I suddenly wasn't suffering the jet lag. 
And it meant that I never played golf and didn't go off and do the things that other people did because I was absolutely making sure that any spare time I had, I was with my family. And at the same time, I was also heavily committed to Christian ministries because I viewed myself as being given an extraordinary uh, Christian background training at the same time as being given an extraordinary business training. So I was behind the scenes in quite a few ministries as a gospel patron not up front not teaching the bible but involved and all of that needed balancing so it meant i was religiously hard on carving out time for the family but it was flat out yeah very hard what did what impact did your christian faith have on your work i mean how how were you able to incorporate your faith and your your biblical understanding and outlook uh, with with your work well i was known um i've always been known as a christian so i was the guy that when you have in the industry i'm in vast amounts of money change hands based upon uh, personal relationships of trust So I was the guy that when you sat down, you were holding me accountable because you knew I was accountable to a different power. You held me accountable as a Christian and you knew that we would talk about what it meant to be a Christian. So I gave away literally hundreds of books. I I, I must have given away Chuck Colson's book, Born Again. I must have given away 150 copies of that, just on on that book alone. I would give you a cassette in the days of cassette of a talk, or I would give you a CD of a talk. And I would be the one who you would have that Christian conversation with. But can I just point out, they they were like verbal boxing matches. You know, they 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 were debates. They were intellectually stimulating most of the time. It was very, very rare that I managed to get you to come to church with me or to come to an evangelistic event. They were interesting, but they didn't have the traction of the gospel train where you go from verse to verse to verse and getting caught up in the word of God. Because I didn't know how to share the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was very well known as a Christian. And as a boss, I also was known as a Christian boss. So I was there to serve. And I made that abundantly plain, plain in any of the businesses that, that I was running. You could, my door was always open and I had a policy of always walking the floor and talking to people. I, I wasn't hiding away on the top floor in, in plush carpets behind a big desk. I was out. That was my job because I viewed that as part of my Christian service. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I, I noticed that you've been the chairman of, of a number of organisations. Uh, for someone stepping into a chairmanship role, what advice would you give them? Well, for a start, it is that everybody should understand you're there for them. You're not there for you're not there to take the biggest salary out to the top of the company from their work. You are there to, to be in service to them. So that that I think that's absolutely essential that everybody realises you are committed to them as an individual and not just to the business. Because the reality is, and I've seen it so often, the business will consume you. There's never enough time. There's never enough, you know, there's always something extra you could have done. Yeah. But actually, you're there for the people. Now, mm-hmm. it also does mean that you have to, on occasion, take some very hard decisions because you are responsible for the business. And by being responsible for the business, you are responsible for the livelihoods of all the people working in it. And I had one period in my life where uh, after the Twin Towers of, of, um, of 9-11, I actually faced having to say goodbye to 40% of the workforce that I had in the UK, and I wouldn't let any of the, the bosses of those businesses do it. I did it mm. because I viewed that as my responsibility. I'd had to make the hard call that to survive for the 60% that still had jobs, 40% were going to have to go as we re-geared the business. Wow. And, and that's the job that you stand out as a Christian. Uh, and that's where your door is always open. That is where you get a chance to be compassionate and show that you are 
or not of this world, you are taking a view of the individual, even when you're having to deliver the really hard news that their jobs have gone. Yeah. So uh, I view it as you're there to do that, that combination. You're there to not shy away from the things that the world will shy away from, but to also be human and approachable and there to serve. Yeah. That's good. the job. Very good. Very good. Now, in 2006, you set up um, the word one, two, one. So I, I want to talk about the early stages of this um, at the start. So how did this come about? Uh, and what is Word One to One? Before we get into some of the stories related to it, um, uh, I, Professor John Lennox is a very close friend of mine. He he's probably well known to many. And if you don't know him, just Google Professor John Lennox. He's a brilliant, brilliant math professor from Oxford University, from Green College, Oxford, who happens to be a Christian. He happens to have the Bible at his fingertips. And he's the kind of man that has taken on Richard Dawkins and in, before Christopher Hitchens died, Christopher Hitchens, he's taken on the new atheist. He's a prolific, prolific author and broadcaster and a fabulous man for speaking about the Bible. Yeah, so I'm, reading, I, I'm reading his uh, commentary on Daniel right now. <laughs> oh, wonderful book. My favourite of all his books, funnily enough. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I introduced John to Europe's most powerful insurance executive. Um, Europe's most powerful insurance broker, I should be precise, a man whose nickname was Golden Tonsils. And uh, I thought, well, job done, Richard. You've lined up this guy who is interested, intellectually interested, and you've got the best you could get in John Lennox, the king of apologetics, on the other side of the table. Well, the dinner lasted three and a half hours, and it was like the worst men's final at Wimbledon you've ever seen. Because my non-Christian friend intellectually adored firing questions at the good professor. And the good professor aced the ball back over the net every single time with a biblical answer. But the problem was my non-Christian friend had no biblical background. So he didn't actually understand where the answer was coming from and, the, and, the, and why the answer was what it was. But he intellectually absolutely adored this process. So at the end of three and a half hours, he begged that the good professor would come down from Oxford again for dinner number two. So much to my amazement, we sat through another three and a half hours. So now we've had seven hours of the best apologetics that you could possibly imagine. Fantastic. All good stuff. The professor was brilliant in answering every question. But I got to the end of the seven hours and I pulled out my white handkerchief and I surrendered. I said, I'm very sorry, guys. I don't want to do another one of these. And they looked at I me. Mean, my non-Christian friend looked at me aghast. He said, I love this. He said, it's so intellectually stimulating. And I know him very well. Um, I, said, I turned to him. I said, no, look, the truth is I found a subject you know nothing about. Now, don't beat yourself up. You're like most people today. You're biblically ignorant. And the truth is you don't understand where he's getting this stuff from. And I can't see any point in meeting again unless we ask him to come back and you can't be vaguer than this to actually show you where is he getting this stuff from. So much to because of my rudeness, I mean, I was amazed, but he agreed to a third dinner. And the good professor turns up with 18 sentences on a sheet of paper. Note, he did not bring a Bible. He brought 18, 18 sentences. They were the unique passage, as I now know at the start of the of the gospel of john yeah it's the only overview or executive summary you will find in the whole of the bible well here's how the conversation went verse one in the beginning was the word well you don't seriously believe there was a beginning do you richard dawkins doesn't believe there was a beginning but by the time we got to verse four the word not john lennox the professor john the gospel writer had got to my friend. For the first time in his life, he was being shown the promises of God and he understood them. And it absolutely silenced him. Metaphorically, his jaw hit the dining room table and it stayed there for the rest of the evening. And don't forget, this is a guy whose nickname's Golden Tonsils. They'd fused. <laughs> and I sat there spellbound as the gospel worked. So at the end of the evening, 
I wa- I didn't need to see that twice. And I rushed the next morning to my minister, William Taylor, who was running St. Helen's Bishopsgate, my, the, city I, the church I would attend in the city. And I said, William, I have just seen the gospel work. Would you please teach me how to share this book? So he started to teach me, thought it was very, very strange. I was writing copious notes and I had to point out to him, I said, well, William, a couple of things. Number one, you're one of 15 meetings I'll have had each day. If you think I'm going to remember what you're saying, you're wrong. Secondly, every one of the meetings I'm in, there's a presentation or there's a document that we're looking at. And if I'm going to take the gospel to my friends, I want the verse and I want what the question is and the answer about that verse next to it. Mm. Well, he thought that was very strange. But as I started to write the notes, he checked the notes and I started to offer this to my friends. And um, do you want to talk about how I offer? Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely want to do. I mean, I, I wanted to get the start of this. Um, I just want just put before you do it's what's interesting to me, what you said there. So you can have the one of the finest brains answering questions i guess they were questions to do with god and and you know um from from your non-christian friend but it wasn't until the word of god itself was presented to this friend of yours after seven hours of debate with john lennox that something different started to happen yes the living word worked and actually i've learned that i'm always wrong as to why someone will meet me. There's always something going on in the background that I can't see that is actually the Lord at work preparing a heart. And then when they actually get to look at the word, the great joy is they don't remember what I say. It's not about me. It's all about what the word says. And so to answer your first the question you put to me to start with, those notes were then printed up eventually into what are 11 very thin booklets which i have a copy my friend has a copy so that we're on a a level playing field i'm not turning up with some massive bible under my arm and blinding them with science where i've got all the knowledge and they haven't we are going through together line by line by line what the verse says and they're not being put on the spot by being asked questions about something they don't know they're seeing what the question is that's logical from what that verse is, and they are looking at the answer with me. Yeah. And that will then lead to a discussion. And literally, brother, that has gone global. Hmm. So for your listeners, if they go to www.theword121.com, they will discover that they can download this for free or they can discover how to get the books for which we sell them at no profit. I mean, there's our ministry we have to find 99 percent of the money is not from the books the books are sold as cheaply as we can just to get the gospel out but the gospel it is written for those that have always thought one day they might look it's now in an acceptable non-christian language that is as easy to understand as possible and for them to see and to go through it with a christian friend yeah. Now, now people often say the hardest thing is to do is to invite. Yes. To, to look at the Bible. And you must have done this countless times. Hundreds now. Yeah. H- how do you go about it? OK, well, first of all, let me just put out there. I've learned to be a fool for the Lord because it's nothing that I'm going to say or that my friends are saying that is getting someone to say yes to joining or meeting for that first coffee it's the lord's ministry it's that the lord has prepared a heart so my job is actually to be a fool for the lord to find out where the lord is at work and i've absolutely fallen in love with that process nigel because i love discovering where the lord is at work and we now know globally that one in five of the people that are asked on average will say yes and as i said earlier it would be for a reason we don't know so i'm a fool for the lord here's what i'm doing I am saying, um, haven't you always thought that one day you would have a look, take a look at the book that sold more copies than any other? Did you notice I didn't call it the Bible? (laughs) People know it's the Bible, 
but I'm not mentioning it as the Bible. So would, haven't you always thought one day you would have a look at the book that sold more copies than any other? Wouldn't you expect it's probably got some good stuff in it? Now, I'm asking two questions to which m most people are going to say yes. They have thought one day they probably should read the Bible. It has sold more copies than any other book. And secondly, it's probably got some good stuff in it. And I then go on to say, well, listen, I have discovered there is one book within it that happens to start with a unique overview. It's the only one in the entire Bible. It's in the sun in the city. I would call it an executive summary everywhere else. I call it an overview. It's 18 sentences long. Notice I didn't call them verses. I'm not talking in Christian language. I'm talking to a non-Christian friend. 18 sentences. And I've got to tell you, I have been blown away by what those 18 sentences say. I am very excited about it. Can I buy you a coffee to show you those 18 sentences? All I will say to you at the end of the coffee is, did you enjoy that? Would you like to see what happens next? In other words, number one, and this is crucial, I've had so many ministers around the world say to me they've realized the mistake that they have been making. I am not saying, would you like to look at the Bible with me? Because today people are horrendously biblically ignorant. Mm -hmm. They see that the Bible is a massive book. They immediately fear that you are going to put them into an embarrassing position. And they are also, when you say, would you like to look at the Bible with me? I've had non-Christians say, well, how long is that going to take? <laughs> what am I signing up to? Yeah. So and I, I'll go further. I, I've had people talk to me about, you know, if you, the, here's, here's the, the, the picture that you want. The Christian can come across like the criminal the master criminal from a James Bond movie who walks onto the set stroking a white cat under their arm. We walk in stroking the book that we love that is tucked under our arm, our Bibles. We've fallen in love with the word of God. We're stroking it like the cat from the James Bond movie. And then we sit down with someone and we flip it open and we say, of course, what it says in Isaiah. Well, today people don't know if Isaiah's a bird or a plane. We talk about the Old Testament, New Testament. We haven't got a clue what we think we've had a great Bible study when we then flip it back closed and walk off stroking the cat. And I've been told, look, you'd, I knew I didn't know anything about it. You've just proven I didn't know anything about it. And I have no idea where we're going with this. Yeah. yeah. Now, in contrast, the, what we've got with Word One to One is we're letting the, the gospel train chug from verse to verse to verse the gospel does all the work yeah. let me tell you one story that absolutely shows this i think the most intelligent man i've ever led to the lord his name is martin and i bought him coffee for 15 months and one day my telephone went and it was martin he said richard i'd like to buy you a coffee <laughs> I thought, marvelous let's, let's, let's turn up for the book so Conversion. Yeah. so I go, I go off for my cup of coffee and martin sits down and he sheepishly tells me he says richard i've knelt at the foot of the cross i said well martin that's absolutely brilliant what took you there oh well it was nothing you said <laughs> i'd spent 15 months with this guy it was nothing you said he said actually richard it's worse than that he said um the first six words in the beginning was the word they went into my mind like a branding iron on a piece of meat in the beginning in the beginning he said i've read richard dawkins the man's an idiot there has to have been a beginning and then john not you richard john told me in the beginning was the word and then actually as i read john I saw who the word was, what the word had come to do, how the word actually died on a cross to pay for the sins that I couldn't possibly pay for, then offered me through his victory in rising from death, a living relationship with him, which, by the way, he then went on to empower by the power of his Holy Spirit. It was nothing you said, Richard. <laughs> now, actually, what a relief. Yeah. The power is in the word. Yeah. It's not our ministry. Actually, all we are is page turners 
Bible sharers. And if you're listening to this podcast, I'm encouraging you, don't start thinking that you are being asked to be an evangelist. You're not Billy Graham. Just be a page turner, a Bible sharer, and then watch as your living saviour works through the power of his word. And it will set your faith on fire, set your prayer life on fire, because actually you will see the Lord work. And and 90 percent of the people who do that first coffee go on to read the whole of John. Yeah. I mean, that is so wonderful to hear you talking like that. And I can see the passion that you have, you know, uh, and, and passion isn't um, taught. It's caught, isn't it, from, uh, from others. And uh, I, I share that passion uh, with you. And uh, that is what I discovered myself when um, I was taught in a similar way to slow down, uh, recognise what the what the word of god actually is it is the word of god it's not the word of man and it performs a work in in people and uh, it is a supernatural book supernaturally inspired uh, by god and um yeah i think uh, what you're sharing there is just fantastic absolutely fantastic well and don't worry if you don't ask people the way that i've asked because there are over 350,000 copies of the word one to one circulating plus the countless downloads on the internet so it's very very easy to use with zoom or any of those platforms and been massively used around the world during the pandemic so don't worry if you're not asking people the way i ask because it's not your ministry if the lord has lined up for someone to say yes stumble your way through asking just to find out where the lord's prepared someone yeah and and then see the lord work it's brilliant it will it's transformed my life so yes brother i am passionate because i daily have the immense privilege of seeing my lord and savior at work in the lives of my friends and contacts yeah and you're clearly not afraid to ask people to join you i'm 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 addicted to asking people because i want to find out where i mean at one point i had 22 one-to-ones on the go and i'm still in insurance I'm convinced that's why the Lord's kept me in insurance, because it means I constantly are meeting new people. Yeah. Do people and, avoid? Uh, it, do, it's been phenomenal what the Lord has done. Do people see you coming and avoid you? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I've had the I've had the exact opposite. I've had people say, "I understand you're up to something." I, I, I mean, I literally had a meeting which I wasn't even thinking about word one to one. I had to go into a business meeting, and. Um, we talked about insurance for 20 minutes and then the guy said, uh, now, my insurance isn't all that you do, is it? And he'd actually looked me up on Google and he'd found YouTube and found some of my talks. And I explained what word one to one was. And I don't. Uh, well, it's obviously of the Lord. I told him the story about how uh, one guy had slammed his desk on the second or third meeting with me and said, Richard, how is it possible? I've had one of the most expensive educations that money can buy, including going to Eton, and no one's ever shown me this. He was very, very angry. And this businessman looked up across the table at me, who I wasn't even thinking about word once. I hadn't actually wanted to do the meeting. (laughs) He said, well, Richard, I went to Eton and no one's shown me. Would you show me, please? Yeah, brilliant. And he then went on to study the whole of John. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. It's not our ministry, brother. No, absolutely brilliant. And, and we, we find very similar thing within Precept. I mean, you're starting, uh, um, we shared, didn't we, a little bit before the podcast, uh, you, you're starting uh, in one sense from a slightly different uh, place than, than we are, but um, it, it's very similar what you're doing with what we're doing, which is which is basically putting the word of God in front of people and, and uh, helping them to understand it and then to make a decision about it and, and then hopefully become a follower of Jesus. And um, because he's the one, he's our example and he, he's the one that's done everything for us. So, so um, yeah, if you're listening to this podcast and you are excited about what Richard is um, hearing, then please do as he says, look it up, um, look it up online. Uh, and uh, we are, you know, a similar ministry in helping people to study the word of God as well, precept, uh, which has been going 50 years and is active in many, many countries as well. Now, um, you sort of shared this, but I'm going to ask it again in case people haven't heard it. (laughs) 
Why is the word of God so important to you? It is the God builds his church. We don't build our church. You can be the best preacher going, but the the power is actually going to be in the word. It won't be in the structure. It won't be in the in the in what you lay on as an interesting church service. All of those things may be used, but the power is in the word. So I I adore seeing my savior at work and around the world. I have seen I've just met people who've done the same because now. For the first time in their lives, they've got a means to share the gospel. So if you'd have said to me as a mature, I've I've been a Christian 36 years before I had the word one to one. If you'd have handed me a Bible and said, Richard, would you go and meet that businessman and lead him to Christ? I would have said, I'm really sorry. I haven't got a clue how to do that. Not a clue. But now I've got the how because I've got the word in a format that I can share. And that is what that's where story after story after story humbling me to my core is what is going on in a world that desperately needs it when and it's gone ballistic there is not an age range that it hasn't taken off but it's gone ballistic amongst retireds because when the time you get to my kind of age i'm 65 now nearly 66 you know you haven't got life's answers so actually, I've had many a person who said to me, oh, yeah, well, we have, I do get together with my friends for coffee. We talk a lot of rubbish, you know. We pick apart Boris or Brexit or whatever it is, um, or we look at the papers and we discuss. But now I've got something to share. And, and my friends are finding this absolutely captivating because they don't know in a biblically ignorant age what the word says. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and the stories, the stories from around the world are amazing. Yeah. 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 Has it been translated into different languages? Actually, we we deliberately have a policy when we started um, of making it as easy English as it possibly can. So it's yes, it is in traditional and simplified Chinese and is used in China uh, online in that way. Um, And yes, we are slowly but surely having to come out with some languages because of the restrictions of certain countries. But actually, it's used in countries where English is within the top four languages because the English is so easy to use. So, for example, um, do you want a story that relates to that? Yeah, definitely. An Iranian, a very senior Iranian businessman was working in Sydney. And he was uh, walking up the Esplanade, which is at Manly Beach. And someone who had retired um, had set up a coffee stall outside their local church on this walkway and was offering a cup of coffee and a look at John's Gospel. This senior Iranian stopped and in broken English, he said, I've read the Quran. It's all rules. Could you show me the Bible? So they showed him word one to one. He said, well, I think I could get through that. Can I bring my interpreter, which was his brother? So he came back with his brother. Well, he got to John 1 verse 12, that he could be adopted into the family of God with certainty. And within three months of having his first coffee, he was baptized in the sea off the beach at Manly. His brother, the, the, the translator, was and the brother's wife, were converted within a year. And when I last heard of them, the matriarch of the family had started to go to the church. Because unlike in Islam, here was absolute certainty. Muhammad says in in the Quran, I hope I've done enough. I don't know. And yet here in the first chapter of John is the offer of unconditional adoption if we put our trust in christ why 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 don't people given the given the truths that we are seeking to um teach and and show people why don't people become christians well the answer is if you show them the word they do so uh, the 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 rate of which people go through a process of meeting a christian for let's say 20 at least 20 coffee meetings to go through uh week by week the 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 verses of john 
actually you're going to fall in love with Christ through that process or you wouldn't be bothering to do it. Yeah. So actually either through word one to one or by then you are ready to go on a Christianity explored course or an alpha course. Um, the, the, the rate that which people become Christians is very, very high. Just to give you a contrast, I, I'm very close to Christianity explored and to my very good buddy Rico Tice. The reality is the big political ignorance is now so bad in this country that on average you you have actually done the Christianity Explored course 2.7 times before you give your life to Christ. In other words, you know so little that you need to go through the entire course. If you come back 2.7 times before you give your life to Christ. Now, that is smashed to once if actually someone has already introduced you to Christ week in, week out through the pages of John yeah. in, in word one to one, then you're ready for the icing on the cake and to give your life to Christ. Yeah. So that really hammers home the importance of the word and how the word one to one fits with what we've been doing for years. It's as if it's as if there's a gap now in people's understanding so that they're not as open to going on the courses. The courses are great. I'm not undermining the courses in any way. What we're doing is preparing people to be able to go on the course. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And if you want to come on the course, we've got lots of courses at Preceptor you can come exactly, on. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it's it's that. But how do you get interested in Christ in the first place? You see, that's where we sit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then, you know, the stories, brother. You know, I mean, a 13-year-old boy gets led to Christ in his youth group by word one-to-one because he understands it. He goes home, his parents say to him, his non-Christian parents say to him, you're different, my boy, what is it? And he said, well, let me show you, because now he can, Mm. age 13. Mm. He can take the word one-to-one. Equally, I was moved to tears when I heard of a woman of 96, now able for the very first time in a nursing home, with her captive audience, as she put it, to be able to share the gospel for the first time in her life, because now she had the means to do so. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just, you know, an, a Hindu in, in, in um, I was speaking in Hong Kong in a very big bank, and this Hindu woman must have been attracted by the free hamburgers. So she came in, she uh, heard for the first time about what the promises of God were. She did the word one-to-one, gave her life to Christ, And then she writes to me, she said, my father is sitting opposite me, age 74, Hindu. He's got tears rolling down his cheeks. For the very first time in his life, I've been able to say to him, Dad, the endless rounds of reincarnation are over. You can be adopted into Christ's family. You have a savior who died for you. Mm -hmm. You can have certainty and a peace that passes all understanding. Mm. tears rolling down his cheeks why because he'd heard the word yeah amen it is beautiful it is fantastic in a sense it's so simple we just got to do it and uh in our british reservedness we we sort of hedge around the edges and we don't we just get them into the book let the you know what i i've learned don't be worried about people saying no initially so for example one businessman I was in Australia on a business trip. I got a one-line email. The time has come for me to look at your notes. (laughs) So I went back to this guy's office when I got back to London. I said, what brought, he's CEO of a company. I said, what what brought you to that? He said, Richard, I was in the gym. I was on the treadmill. I'm 49 years old. I realized I was on the treadmill of my life and I haven't got answers. And I thought there's probably one book that's got answers. And Richard's offered me a way to look at it. I should give Richard a ring. And don't be surprised. He's given his life to Christ. Yeah. Another man turned me down three years in a row. And I'd frankly, I'd crossed him off my list. I was, you know, I'd moved on. And I walked into a meeting and he, in front of other people, he said, you were right and I was wrong. (laughs) And I said, what's that about? He said, "Uh, I was gardening yesterday, Richard. He has a wonderful garden. And he said, I was on my hands and knees weeding. And I realized I'd lost two friends to cancer one friend to a brain aneurysm and one friend to a heart attack in a year. I was 63 years old and I haven't got a clue what I believed in. And I realized I probably should know. 
So I, I suddenly thought, I need to see you, Richard, and look at what the word has to say. Yeah. Who's at work? It's not yeah. you. No, absolutely. Well, listen, we're coming into land, and um, I, I was going to ask you, you know, what, what's on the horizon for you next? But I think I know what's on the horizon for you next. You're more of, more of the same. <laughs> I am on a journey with my saviour, which is beyond belief. <laughs> and I am loving every moment of it because I'm seeing him living at work, offering living relationships. And I'm also seeing the transformation of people whose faith has become all about them. They go to church for a spiritual top up, whereas actually we're called to the Great Commission. And now they have a means of stepping out and finding the Lord at work. I had a 78-year-old widow tell me, Richard, even the church writes you off at 78, and yet now I've been employed. I'm in the Great Commission, and I'm having a wonderful time yeah. sharing the word. I've been put to work at the age of 78. Well, as I say, this, I've said this on previous podcasts, Moses was 75 when he started his journey. Moses was 80, you know. So uh, age is not a barrier to any of this, is it? No, it's not. No way. Well, listen, Richard, um, I am very grateful to you for, for appearing on the podcast today to share your passion for the word of God and to hear some amazing stories of the power of the word of God. If you're listening to this, um, I would just encourage you, um, do not underestimate uh, the word of God and how powerful it is. And if you are... Um, interested in uh, taking this further then obviously you can go to the word one-to-one website you can come to our website precept.org.uk uh, and, and Richard I'm sure as we are would be delighted absolutely delighted to help you on this incredible journey of being adopted into the family of God where your salvation and your future in heaven is assured so Richard thank you so much um, been absolute delight to speak to you and god bless you as you continue to serve your lord and savior well as philippians 121 says for me to live is christ to die well it's going to be even better isn't it i'm going home to die is gain yeah. but in the meantime christ my living savior is absolutely there for me i'm walking hand in hand with the creator of the universe. What a humbling privilege. What a peace that passes all understanding. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So thank you so much for listening today. And thank you, Richard.